had our revenge later. Every night after the staff had left, we used to send a dose of mild cosmics into the lab and curdled all their beautiful precipitates. Until one evening, old Professor Hudson stayed behind and we nearly finished him off. But to get back to my story, we obtained another guinea pig, chloroformed it, and sent it through the transmitter. To our delight, it revived. We immediately had it killed and stuffed for the benefit of posterity. You can see it in the museum with the rest of our apparatus. But if we wanted to start a passenger service, this would never do. It would be too much like an operation to suit most people. However, by cutting down the transmitting time to a ten-thousandth of a second, and thus reducing the shock, we managed to send another guinea pig in full possession of its faculties. This one was also stuffed. The time had obviously come for one of us to try out the apparatus, but as we realized what a loss it would be to humanity should anything go wrong, we found a suitable victim in the person of Professor Kingston, who teaches Greek or something foolish, on the 197th floor. We lured him to the transmitter with a copy of Homer, switched on the field, and by the row from the receiver, we knew he'd arrived safely and in full possession of his faculties such as they were. We would have liked to have had him stuffed as well, but it couldn't be arranged. After that, we went through in turns, found the experience quite painless, and decided to put the device on the market. I expect you can remember the excitement there was when we first demonstrated our little toy to the press. Of course, we had the dickens of a job convincing them it wasn't a fake, and they didn't really believe it, until they had been through the transporter themselves. We drew the line, though, at Lord Rosscastle, who would have blown the fuses, even if we could have got him into the transmitter. This demonstration gave us so much publicity that we had no trouble at all in forming a company. We bade a reluctant farewell to the Research Foundation, told the remaining scientists that perhaps one day we'd heap coals of fire on their heads by sending them a few millions, and started to design our first commercial senders and receivers. The first service was inaugurated on May the 10th, 1962. The ceremony took place in London, at the transmitting end, though at the Paris receiver there were enormous crowds watching to see the first passengers arrive, and probably hoping they wouldn't. Amid cheers from the assembled thousands, the Prime Minister pressed a button, which wasn't connected to anything, The chief engineer threw a switch, which was, and a large Union Jack faded from view and appeared again in Paris, rather to the annoyance of some patriotic Frenchman. After that, passengers began to stream through at a rate which left the customs officials helpless. The service was a great and instantaneous success, as we only charged two pounds per person. This we considered very moderate, for the electricity used cost quite one-hundredth of a penny. Before long, we had services to all the big cities of Europe, by cable, that is, not radio. A wired system was safer, though it was dreadfully difficult to lay polyaxle cables, costing £500 a mile, under the channel. Then, in conjunction with the post office, we began to develop internal services between the large towns. You may remember our slogans, Travel by Phone and... It's quicker by wire, which were heard everywhere in 1963. Soon, practically everyone used our circuits, 
and we were handling thousands of tons of freight per day. Naturally, there were accidents, but we could point out that we had done what no Minister of Transport had ever done, reduced road fatalities to a mere 10,000 a year. We lost one client in six million, which was pretty good even to start with, though our record is even better now. Some of the mishaps that occurred were very peculiar indeed, and in fact, there are quite a few cases which we haven't explained to the dependents yet, or to the insurance companies either. One common complaint was earthing along the line. When that happened, our unfortunate passenger was just dissipated into nothingness. I suppose his or her molecules would be distributed more or less evenly over the entire earth. I remember one particularly gruesome accident when the apparatus failed in the middle of transmission. You can guess the result. Perhaps even worse was what...